The uh, Old Testament reading today is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 30, starting at verse 15 through to the end of the chapter, and it's on page 208 in the Church Bibles, starting on the very last line of page 208. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is slightly different to what is on your notice sheet. It's from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 to 48. It can be found on 968 of your Bible. Page 968. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is an Aramaic term of contempt, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar 
and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said that it was, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear on oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you, God, for this word. Amen. Two great readings. Thank you very much, both of you. Father, I pray that you may open our ears, that we may hear, 
that hearing may bring faith to us. Pray that we may understand that we may have that choice to choose for you. I pray that we may have the will to allow your word to work in us, that the written word may become the living word through us and for your glory's sake. Amen. It was a very nice tune. (laughs) (laughs) Music to pray by. Last week, there were two most important words, if you remember. You are very good, very good. You are, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That was last week's lessons. And the key thing is that you are that. Everything else that follows, flows from that fact. You are the light of the world. Great pictures they are to spark imagination and to help us to think through Uh, the meaning of everything that comes later in this great Sermon on the Mount that that, uh, Jesus gives us. So imagine that you're there and you have been told that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So what's it going to be like? What will it taste like when the salt gets shaken? What will it look like when we see with the light of the world shone about? We're agog. Tell us, Jesus. And then it's a bit of a flop, isn't it? He says, in the detail of what he's going to say, he starts upholding everything that's gone before in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. How disappointing is that? Not a jot or a tittle will pass away. Not the least stroke of the pen will disappear from the law. Such disappointment. It's such a burden to keep and so difficult to remember all those regulations. And then, if we're not disappointed enough, Jesus adds despair to it as well. He goes on in verse 20 to say that they've got to go further in keeping this law than anybody ever has. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Well, no doubt when the people heard that, their hearts were in their boots. It was like being told that unless you can kick a ball like Beckham, unless you can bake a cake like the berry, unless you can sing a song better than Sinatra, whether you can preach better than a Pope. In fact, unless you can do all of those things better than all of those people, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were the the super performers of religious piety. They lived holy lives. They were held in awe. They had all the learning and the teaching. And Jesus says, you have to do better than them. And so in what follows, Jesus kind of lays out the law 
what it looks, what the law of the Jews looks like when it's salt shaken in the world, when it's light shone abroad. And he gives six examples of the greater righteousness. Murder, he refers to murder, lust and adultery, divorce, swearing of oaths, revenge and love for your enemies. They all sort of kind of encapsulate the Ten Commands in a kind of way. And those five of those sections, he begins with those words, you have heard that it was said. And, and once he shortens it to saying, it was said. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they used that as a teaching kind of refrain. That's what they said. And they said it to show that they were standing in the tradition of the law. It was said. And therefore, this is the teaching that follows. But now, when Jesus gets to it, there's a twist. He upholds the tradition by saying, you've heard it was said. But then he goes straight on to say, but... I say. If the most important words of last week were you are, the most important words of this week is but I say. But I say, says Jesus. Because he takes the higher authority. He gives us his teaching. Teaching straight from heaven. No longer are we listening to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law telling us a rule that governs our outward life, do this, don't do that. Now, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Now it's a vision of an inner life. A vision that lifts us above the mundane of rule keeping to being a partaker in the very nature of God. So that verse 48, the last one in chapter 5, is a key verse where he sums it up. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Pharisees gave you a lesser expression, something less. Jesus said, we're going for the top. We're going to be perfect. No longer a life governed by rules, but a life governed by a relationship. You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. That's what it tastes and looks like when you're in love with God, when God has put his hand on you. No longer the outward works of the Pharisees, who no heart for it in the end anyway, but now it's about the heart which loves God. And desires to be like him. It brings the inward desire. And it brings the power for righteousness. It exceeds the Pharisees. Because it was an inner disposition. What are we like on the inside? As well as an outer action that flows from it. Darren gave us uh, Psalm 96. Sing a new song. The new song comes four, six times in the Old Testament, four times in the Psalms, twice in the uh, book of Isaiah. Every time there's a new song, it's about salvation. And it's taken up in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 5 and chapter somewhere else. And both times, it's the song of the redeemed. No one else can sing it. 
the redeemed sing the new song, the ones who have been saved and are in Christ. And the point being that it's not a song that we sing outwardly uh, once, as it were. It's a song that we sing new every day because we rise with the new creation. As the sun comes up, the new creation dawns. We're in Christ. We sing the new song. But more than that, we are the new song because we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are the new creation. We are singing the new song day by day as we go about our business. That's really what Jesus is bringing to us. This is what the new song looks like, everybody. And these examples he gives us, they're about our heart. And I don't think Jesus meant this, but I think we can see it in the way that we relate to other people. We can see it in the way that we relate to ourselves, our integrity, our inner an outer person integrated, and we see, see it in the way that we allow others to relate to ourselves. And I'm going to talk about that a bit from these sections. With murder, it's about how we relate to other people. It's at the core of who we see another person to be. And in verse 21, he says, You have heard it said, You shall not murder. And you might think, well, murder, that's okay. Most of us manage to avoid that. Don't we, Darren? Even in marriage. Yeah, murder the odd song, he says. Jesus says, it's not enough just to avoid committing murder. Because murder's not just about killing somebody. It's considering not worth the space they occupy. It's a denial of their worth. It's about the angry thoughts the using of insulting words that lead to it. It's about what's going on inside. I tell you, Jesus says, verse 22, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says raka Um, in the prayers this morning, before the service, somebody said, believing in Jesus is a no-brainer. A no-brainer. Well, actually, the word raka means no brain. It means emptiness, empty-headed, imbecile. Uh, Believing in Jesus is actually filling your head with stuff, I thought. Filling yourself with the goodness of God. If you said raka, you could be taken to court. The Jews did that. They took each other to court if you used that insult. Emptiness. When I was uh, properly in the workplace, when I had a proper job, there was that term going around, he's a waste of space. Well, if you really believe someone's a waste of space, or if they're in the space that you want to occupy, well, the next logical step is to get rid of them. But Jesus goes on to say, anyone who says, you fool, you moron is the word, moros, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Because the matter, you see, doesn't finish at the human court. The matter ends in the, in, in the courts of heaven. No court 
can judge, uh, bring a charge of anger, but God can. So the thing is then, you see, to speak, uh, to, to seek to banish these thoughts, to banish the words and thoughts that lead to murder. And if we're to do that, then we've got to love God more than we want to be angry and to hate. Love God more than we want to be angry and hateful. If we love God enough, then our love for God replaces the burning anger that leads to murder. The thing to replace it with is a desire for reconciliation. He goes on in verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift there at the altar. First go and be reconciled with them and then come and offer your gift. No, no act of religious piety is more important than reconciliation. The salt of the earth, the light of the world is someone who desires and works for and is a mender of relationships because that's what God is like. He does not dismiss us in his perfection as a worthless or as a fool or as an empty-headed waste of space. His anger does not burn against us without mercy. He has reconciled us to himself and he calls us to be reconcilers of relationships. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, if that's an insight into how we relate to others, how we relate to ourselves uh, comes through in verses 23 to 20, sorry, 27 to 37. Stuff about adultery and divorce and the swearing of oaths. The first glance, it might not look like it, but actually there are three very basic instincts that are going on. It's about our honour and it's about our integrity and it's about our faithfulness. And again, you see, Jesus, Jesus doesn't, uh, says that adultery doesn't begin in bed. It begins in the eye and it begins in the heart. It's in the look that lingers, takes pleasure and imagines. Adultery is inward. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in, her heart, in his heart. Hear that, men. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it's not that we should never feel the impulse of lust. That, that would be impossible. That would be less than human. We're made that way. And I have to tell you, women, that there is nothing more beautiful in a man's eye than a woman's body. You ought to understand that. Nothing more beautiful than a woman's body in a man's eye. But for the man, it's not the first look that condemns you. It's the second, because you don't have to look back. Billy Graham taught me that. First sermon I ever heard, and I never forgot it, because it spoke to me. 
And it's about how we relate to ourselves because actually we dishonour ourselves when we take that uh, course of action. Before we ever dishonour a woman in lust, we dishonour ourselves first because it's corrupting for us. Jesus says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out and throw it away. It's an offence against yourself. In verse 33, the, the swearing of oaths, it's about our integrity, our ability to tell the truth. Why do we ask people to swear oaths? Why do we swear on my mother's grave. We swear because actually we feel maybe we, the truth isn't in us. We're not confident that the truth is there. I heard the other day that if, if a diplomat says to you, yes, he means maybe. And if he says maybe, he means no. And if he says no, he's not a diplomat. That made me laugh. Verse 37, all you need is yes and all you need is no. We know that verse as let your yes be yes and your no be no, don't we? But yes for us is not so definite as yes. And no is not always no. You know when you say maybe to a child, it's yes. You, you Mothers ought to know that. Can I have something? Yes. No, they say maybe, and they go, yeah, don't they? And if we can't tell the truth to others, it's usually because we can't tell the truth to ourselves. Denial goes very deep. Our relationship with our own self is a lie when we're telling lies to other people. Jesus says the inner thing should bear witness to the truth not the outer thing we swear by. The inner thing should bear witness to the truth, not the outer thing we swear by. Let your yes be yes. And in between these two things, adultery and swearing of oaths, comes uh, divorce, which is about our faithfulness. Divorce happens in our day, doesn't it, when lusts and lies grow up as weeds around the frail plant of marriage. But Jesus is addressing men who decide to divorce their wives and the responsibility that comes with such a decision. Unless, he says in verse 32, I tell you, anyone who divorces a wife except for marital unfaithfulness makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Choose life. Choose life, said Deuteronomy. It's about our choices and our responsibility that comes with it. If you divorce a person, Jesus says, send them away. You make them a victim of your own unfaithfulness because you're being unfaithful. If you're unfaithful to somebody else, you're being unfaithful to yourself because you first said your promises, your word bound you to your spouse. And so when you decide to divorce, 
It's your own word that you break. Now, when we relate to ourselves in the right way, then we uphold our honour and our integrity. And we're able to live life in good faith because the God we worship is like that. Living the kingdom means that we are like the Father in heaven. He always upholds our honour. He's always true to himself. He's always true and faithful within himself and with those he has bound himself to. Be perfect, therefore, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so thirdly, we get to how we allow others to relate to ourselves. And he speaks of this often misquoted, eye for an eye. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye. And the popular saying of the time, love your, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. That's what the Jews used to say. But Jesus, what he says in the light of those is, is that we should not allow others to treat us as less than equals. Now, Christians often read these particular verses and think, well, this is about doormat theology. But it's not. He's saying, don't let them treat you as equals, uh, as less than equal. You can keep the rule or you can raise yourself to a higher level. Rise above the person who puts you down. So, if you're Simon, will you stand up for me for a moment? I just need to strike you on the right cheek. Yeah. Make it hard. Well, I'm right-handed. Okay. The strike on the right cheek. There you go. Comes with the back of the hand. As a as an insult. Thank you so much. Oh no, stand stay there for a minute. It's an insult. It's saying, you're not worth it. Get away. And Jesus says, offer your left cheek. (laughs) Hit me as an equal. Don't give me a backhanded put down. Hit me as an equal. Thank you so much. Brilliant. And in the process, we give up the right to retaliate, the right for the eye for the eye, and we raise ourselves above the rule to become more godlike. If someone wants a shirt off your back, give him your cloak as well. Shame him with your impoverished nakedness. Let it be seen that that's what Simon did to me in his inhumanity, because that's what the rich and wealthy do. Shame the poor. See, these examples tell us not to allow ourselves, uh, allow others to treat us as lesser equals, as doormats, but as fully human beings. So he goes on in verses 43 to 47 to talk about loving our enemies lifting us above the rest, placing us in a position in which no one can look down upon us. Love your enemies. Because God loved his enemies enough to turn them 
into his friends. Love is the only power in the world able to turn an enemy into a friend. We are all people of a God who is above all things, who's over all things, and loves even his enemies to the end. And so these sayings through chapter 5 take us beyond just keeping of a rule. We'll never keep these as rules, ever. But they lift us into sharing in God's nature. That's the salt of the earth. That's the light of the world, nature, that we have. God-like people fulfilling all that he intends in the world. It's the way he dealt with us, you and me. The rules are a mere shadow of the perfection of God. But the perfection of God is in each of us, given to us the moment we came to Christ, imputed to us by the Holy Spirit. Our true nature is what enables us to rise above the rule. It's about our desire to love God above all other things, to work out his purpose in the world, to be perfect just as he is perfect. Not a call to superhuman effort, but a call to work out of you what he has already worked in you, to sing the song of the new creation.